You're listening to the front page edition of All Things Considered. I'm April Anuza. And I'm Christina Loeb. Governor Rick Scott won office on the slogan, Let's Get to Work, and is now proclaiming it's working. The governor repeated the phrase several times in his third State of the State address to the legislature this morning. Scott pointed at falling unemployment over the past two years and encouraged lawmakers to continue to make the state more business friendly. Two years ago, we met facing crippling debt, record high unemployment, and a downward spiral of job losses. Today, because of the tireless work of the men and women in this room, our businesses are creating hundreds of thousands of jobs. And our unemployment rate is now down nearly to the national average. And we aren't stopping here. It's working. Scott also pushed for his proposed $2,500 across-the-board raise for teachers, saying steps he took his first year to eliminate tenure and base raises on performance makes it easier to move bad teachers out of classrooms. Our formula this session is simple. We must invest in our education system, support our teachers, cut taxes to help create more jobs, our work to cut spending and live within our means over the last few years has allowed us to once again invest in education. The workers of tomorrow are in Florida classrooms today. When I first stood before you in 2011, I said, the single most important factor in student learning is the quality of teaching. Since that time, we eliminated teacher tenure. We signed performance pay into law, and it will take effect in 2014. With his continued theme about the importance of education, Scott says his proposed budget allows for a significant increase in funding for state colleges and universities. He praised University of Florida President Bernie Matchin for developing a formula for success in higher education across the state. Our budget increases operating funds for Florida State Colleges by $70 million and increases funding for Florida universities by more than $390 million. Much of this increase will be tied to performance measures to ensure schools are preparing students to get a job. I would especially thank University of Florida President Bernie Matchin for being so helpful in coming up with performance measurements for success. Dr. Manchin, worked with his colleagues across the university system to form measurements and to continue to make Florida universities the best in the country. Dr. Manchin, please stand so we can thank you and all our university leaders. The governor also pointed to the state's economy, saying it is back on track. He compares Florida's economic efforts with those of other states who have not been as successful. We could have chosen a different course. We could have continued to drive up taxes and borrowed to increase spending. That would have been the easy way out. California raised their top income tax rate to 13.3%, the highest in the nation. But it isn't working in California. People are leaving their state, and they have the second highest unemployment rate in the country. More taxes and more spending aren't working in New York either. More than 3.4 million people 
have fled New York from 2000 to 2009. Florida was their number one destination. Scott received a loud applause when, the, when he touched on the topic of Medicaid and says though he was reluctant at first, he now fully supports its expansion. Now our options are either having Floridians pay to fund this program in other states while denying health care to our citizens or using federal funds to help some of the poorest in our state with the Medicaid program as we explore other health care improvements. As I wrestled with this decision, I thought about my mom and her struggles to get my little brother health care with no money. I concluded that for the three years, the federal government is committed to paying 100% of the cost of new people in Medicaid, I cannot, in good conscience, deny the uninsured access to care. Scott wrapped up his State of the State speech by expressing optimism about the future for Florida. I believe Florida will be the number one place in the world for job creation. I believe Florida will be the number one place in the world to get a great education and the number one place in the world where families can afford to live. The governor also acknowledged several people and organizations during his speech, including victims of human trafficking, military heroes who have died in the line of duty, as well as military families, firefighters and police officers, among others. And Senate and House representatives gave their rebuttals to Florida Governor Rick Scott's State of the State Union today. In the speech at the opening of the 2013 legislative session, Scott said Florida's economy is strong enough to give teachers a pay raise and repeated that his policies are working. Scott focused on jobs, education, and the budget, but left out public policy issues like voting, property insurance, and state workers. Democratic leaders caught on to this and addressed these issues in their rebuttals. Senate Democratic Leader from District 3, Chris Smith, and House Democratic Leader from District 93, Perry Thurston, both gave the rebuttals at the opening, pointing out what they want this legislative year to accomplish. Senator Smith agrees with helping Florida teachers, but they aren't the only ones who need a pay raise. What about the state workers? I applaud the $2,500 raise for teachers but ask you to please get to work and provide leadership to make sure that the legislature follows through on that promise. Also, we need to make sure the legislature do not forget our state workers, the state trooper that's out patrolling our streets that haven't received a raise, our correctional officers that haven't received a raise, the person that's cleaning the governor's office as we speak that hasn't received a raise. We ask that you look out for our state workers the same way that we do our teachers. Along with state workers, Smith criticizes Scott for not speaking about health insurance. He points out affordable health insurance is key, and too many Floridians have seen their premiums skyrocket. And lastly, Governor, we truly need leadership when it comes to insurance. We heard nothing from you today, and you've been silent on it for many years. We need to make sure that Floridians keep insurance, but affordable insurance. Floridians around the state their insurance premiums have doubled, they've tripled, they've quadrupled. We need to make sure that we provide some leadership in this state to make sure we hold the line on insurance rates and make things better for Floridians. 
This past presidential election, Florida faced serious problems with voting. Smith stresses the importance of voting and asks for Scott to please make the process easier for the next election. From the House of Representatives, Perry Thurston, says Scott is focusing on the wrong priorities with some of the legislature's key issues. Just like Senator Smith, Thurston emphasizes on voting and what can be changed. He has the wrong priorities on education, jobs, land and water uses, and voting rights. The legislature is taking steps to reverse bad decisions that were made only two years ago that made it harder for people to exercise their right to vote. While there will be bipartisan progress on this important issue, there's much, much more work to be done. Florida needs more voting days more polling locations, and for those voting sites to be properly staffed and properly equipped. Florida also has its first budget surplus in a while, and Thurston says this can be used to our advantage. And with the budget surplus available for the first time in five years, the legislature has opportunity now to do more than just window dress education issues, as the governor has proposed. We've got to do better. Thurston believes this budget surplus can help shift state investments towards acting as a prevention method with future problems, instead of being used after the fact. But the goal of this budget should be first and foremost to help Floridians. We believe the new state budget should be guided by one simple premise. Every Floridian deserves a fair opportunity to achieve the American dream. Although both Democratic leaders agree with some points brought up by Governor Rick Scott, like raising teacher salaries, they say Florida still has some improvements to make. Some of their goals to tackle Medicaid, education, voting, and to reverse past mistakes of the Florida legislature. A video made of high school students in Gainesville in January featured profanity, racial slurs, and negative comments about their school. As, as Florida's 89.1 WUFTFM's Charlene Ochogo reports, some concerned parents and teachers are taking action to improve Gainesville's schools. A community action plan to create a better mentor program for high school students is in the works. The African American Accountability Alliance invited interested community and school board members to a forum last night to discuss the controversial YouTube video made of Eastside High School students in January. Chair of the 4A's Education Committee, Julian Kinsey, says the purpose of the forum was community awareness about a problem in Gainesville High Schools. It's important that the, that the, that the community at large has a firm understanding of um, of everything surrounding this particular issue so that no one's left with assumptions or guesses, but it's all out in the open. The video sparked conversation about what should be done to change the atmosphere of schools in Gainesville. The forum's panel included former Eastside student Artavia Hutto, one of many students suspended for her role in the film. Even though she regrets being filmed, Hutto says she doesn't regret her statements about the conditions at Eastside. I mean, it was the truth, and I just... I think I could have said it in a different way without it being so, like, foul, but it was, it was true. Gainesville High School junior Bradley Johnson says the videos didn't shock him because he sees the same actions in his school. When you actually attend the school, you see that this behavior often, so it's not, when I say not surprising, it doesn't, it doesn't bring about, like, a new awareness. Like, I've seen this every day. I see this every day, so it's not new to me, but it's, it's, it's disappointing, but it's not surprising to me. 
At the forum, members of the audience were asked for suggestions to help the situation. Like Kinsey, most believe stronger mentorships and relationships with students is the answer. Kinsey says students like the ones in the video need people to show them how to behave. The video itself was a cry for help. Um, they are victims of the culture that this is okay, this is acceptable. I'm supposed to shake my butt on the camera. I'm supposed to curse out teachers and be disrespectful. You know, this is what's expected. Kinsey proposed a student mentorship program so that at-risk students have someone to relate to and says he hopes that the ideas will be taken seriously when the 4As present their plan to the school board. The superintendent made a statement that he didn't feel that the video warranted any attention. And so what we're hoping is that now that he sees our perspective on it, that um, he'll retract that statement and that he'll, you know, he'll see that this, this is an issue of importance and, um, and that we would like for him to be a part of a solution along with us. For Florida's 89.1 WUFT-FM, I'm Charlene Ochoa reporting. March begins the spring break season, and law enforcement is working towards keeping the public safe. With an emphasis on the state's drinking laws, the Department of Business and Professional Regulations, Division of Alcoholic Beverages, along with the Florida Highway Patrol, will watch different hotspots in the state during some of the break's notorious activities. Communications Director for DBPR, Sandy Pareda, says everyone should be sober before getting behind the wheel. Uh, the department partnered with local law enforcement agencies and associations throughout the state to encourage uh, folks to stay safe during spring break, to remember that the legal drinking age in Florida is 21 and that people need to exercise caution when making decisions about spring break celebrations. We want to encourage people not to drink and drive, to make sure that they are sober before they get behind the wheel of a car, and to make sure that they are obeying the drinking laws in Florida, especially uh, drinking laws about the drinking age. We want to make sure that there are no underage children or anyone in the state underage that's getting access to alcohol. Sometimes with alcohol, things can get out of hand. Pareda says you can prepare for this by having a plan before you go out for the night, especially when friends under the drinking age are involved. Well, it's a good idea to have a plan. If, if you are planning to go out with your friends and you know that alcohol may be involved, uh, make sure that you have a plan for how you're going to get home safely, whether that's calling a taxi, whether that's having a designated driver. Uh, make sure that there's a plan for being safe. And make sure that if there are people under the age of 21 in your group, don't buy them alcohol. If you're under the age of 21, don't drink alcohol. Florida's beverage laws are in place for a reason, and that's to protect people from those situations. No matter what, it's important to always have a sober designated driver who can hold on to those keys tightly. If you see someone else getting behind the wheel intoxicated, Pareda stresses there are various options for help. You can always call local law enforcement for help, uh, whether you're in Gainesville and you need to call the Gainesville Police Department or the Alachua County Sheriff's Office. You can also call a taxi if you need to be driven somewhere and, and you're not capable of driving or the person who is driving you is now impaired. Call a taxi. Don't get in the car with somebody who's been drinking. Florida law enforcement will not tolerate underage drinking or driving impaired. If you do see a drunk driver, call the Florida Highway Patrol at Star FHAP. Several candidates are in the running to become mayor of Gainesville, and all this week we're hearing from those candidates. So far this week we've had former District 1 City Commissioner Sherwin Henry, and today we'll hear from why incumbent Mayor Craig Lowe thinks he's best for the position. Lowe says he's talked to the people of Gainesville, and they're saying they want to see the city remain on its current trend. I'm hearing that people want to continue the economic development that we've been experiencing and to maintain the quality of life that we have here in Gainesville built upon 
environmental protection and protection of our neighborhoods and public safety. Lowe says his time as mayor has proven that he has the capabilities to deliver these requests that residents are asking for. As mayor and before as city commissioner, I've been a strong defender of our environment and of maintaining the integrity of our neighborhoods and making sure that everyone in Gainesville uh, has an opportunity to contribute to our city and also to uh, enjoy the amenities of our community as well. And these are the building blocks for the foundation of economic development and the economic success that we've been experiencing over the past three years. And Lowe credits the city's job growth as one aspect of its economic success. They want to continue to see uh, job growth in our city of the type that we've been seeing over the past three years. And again, that job growth is fundamentally tied to the overall quality of life because employers want that quality of life for their employees and for themselves and their families when they relocate to Gainesville or expand here. Lowe also says he wants to maintain the relationship the city of Gainesville has with its higher education institutions, as that relationship has been at one of its prime periods since he's been mayor. I think we've seen the best relations between the city and the university that we've had in in decades. And I think that is paying off with developments like Innovation Square and specifically the decision by Mindtree to locate here. And I look forward to continuing to work collaboratively with the University of Florida, with uh, Santa Fe College, with Alachua County, and all other entities uh, involved to keep Gainesville moving forward. Gainesville's student population is also of importance to Lowe because he says students are important to the character and vitality of the community. I've spoken on campus to campus groups uh, to encourage their participation, uh, and I think that really is something that does set my campaign apart, uh, that there may be some uh, groups that uh, actually want to discourage students from participating, but actually I definitely want students to participate in the electoral process uh, they uh, have interests in our city uh, in terms of how we operate, and also they represent those who may come uh, after them in years to come. In addition to reaching out to the city's students, Lowe says his focus on protecting the environment is another trait that distinguishes his campaign from that of other candidates. I am the one candidate that has consistently supported environmental protection uh, by protecting natural areas of our city uh, from destruction and for preservation for future generations. I'm the one person who is running for mayor who has consistently supported equal opportunity for all people uh, based upon race, gender, national origin, religion, sexual orientation, and gender identity. Lowe went on to address a couple of controversial projects the city has taken on while he has been in office. The biomass plant is something that was decided um, a number of years ago, and uh, two of my opponents, Sherwin Henry and Ed Braddy, both voted for the biomass plant, and actually Commissioner Braddy made the motion for a 100-megawatt biomass plant. Uh, as far as Vision 2020, um, that is a long-term vision for recreation in our area, and of course we will have to implement that as funding allows. But what I would be concerned about 
is that there are those in our community uh, who want to see Gainesville move forward, who see the quality of life of our citizens, see uh, recreation, see cultural arts, see transportation as being basic attributes for what made Gainesville what it is. And um, it would be not in the character of our city to take away those basic attributes. As the end of his first term approaches, Lowe says the city's strides in economic and cultural development on a national and international stage were his proudest accomplishments. As we uh, talk to people from other parts of the world, they want to know what Gainesville is doing. For example, we hosted a delegation from Judge uh, of Poland who indicated that who actually wanted to be a sister city with the city of Gainesville because of the, the wonderful things that are going on here. We hear that uh, more and more uh, from, from cities across the country and across the world. Candidate for mayor of Gainesville, Craig Lowe, will continue our series of interviews with the candidates tomorrow on the front page edition of All Things Considered. Meanwhile, City of Gainesville voters should be receiving their blue and white sample ballot for the March 19, 2013 City of Gainesville election in the mail this week. The sample ballot includes the Gainesville mayor and District 4 races and a City of Gainesville charter amendment question relating to the city election dates and terms of office. Voters may also view sample ballots for the City of Gainesville election online at www.votealachua.com. Now that lawmakers have begun their annual 60-day lawmaking session, they will be discussing a number of issues that will affect taxpayers' wallets and the economy in Central Florida. Last week, economic analyst Hank Fishkind examined some of the proposals in Governor Rick Scott's $74 billion budget, but the governor's proposal must be approved by the legislature. Tom Parkinson from member station WMFE asked Fishkind what parts of the governor's plan the lawmakers will greenlight and which parts they will nix. Well, the legislature will not accept the almost billion-dollar increase in across-the-board spending for the teachers because uh, we we work very hard to put uh, testing and merit pay plans into place, and this would be totally the opposite of merit pay. The legislature is going to probably fund some increase for merit pay, but not an across-the-board increase. There may be some salary increases for uh, some state employees, but again, I doubt the legislature is going to approve an across-the-board type increase for it would run counter to this pay-for-performance system that the legislature seems to favor. Some state employees and, and some agencies that I've talked to say they're stretched pretty thin. Their caseloads have expanded considerably in the last few years because of state layoffs. Do you think that there will be any push this year or uh, going forward in the next few years to maybe start expanding again and for the state government to start hiring again? I don't really see it. I mean, even the governor's budget, which proposed more than a $4 billion increase in total dollar spending, proposed almost no increases in state employment. Well, I'd also like to get your uh, take on several issues that will affect Central Florida's tourism industry, our, this region's major economic engine, of course. One of those issues that they're discussing in the capital are the uh, tourist development taxes. What, what is that about, Hank? Those are taxes that are imposed on overnight guests in hotels or other lodging facilities. The monies must be spent on tourist development, convention centers, or athletic facilities. 
a few other things, but that's basically it. Uh, the new bill in the legislature would expand slightly the uses that those monies could be put towards. Like what? Well, it would include additional type of athletic facilities. So locally, there's a push to have the proposed soccer team have some ability to garner some of those funds. But locally, most of those funds are already pledged to things in most counties. It's not like there's a bunch of money simply available laying around. Most of it is already committed to existing bond issues on the convention center here and in most other communities or on longstanding tourist promotion. So there'll be a lot of resistance locally to spending money on any other thing. So in Orange County, for example, $175 million has already been earmarked for renovation of the Citrus Bowl. Uh, You're saying then it's not likely there'll be another huge allotment of money for, as an example, uh, the soccer soccer stadium that uh, some in the community are pushing for. That's correct. And there's no proposal to allow for significant increases in the tourist development tax. Another area might affect us specifically here in Central Florida is the sales taxes for Internet sales. Is that related to the push to tax online hotel booking agencies like Expedia and Travelocity in a different way? Yes, it could have a significant effect on the ability to tax those sales. It's mostly directed at goods, not at services like hotels, but it could be broadened to even capture those sales. So uh, what else is in that, the sales tax for Internet sales? I guess the idea basically is to level the playing field between Amazon and and the other big online retailers and the brick-and-mortar stores. Yes, uh, it is an equity issue, but it's also a money issue. Anytime they say it's not about money, (laughs) it's about money, too. I mean, we're talking about probably north of a billion dollars a year of additional tax revenues that are not included in the governor's budget or the legislature's budget at this time. You know, another interesting item that is set to come up is the rental car surcharge. What's that about, Hank? It's a $2 charge that's imposed on all rental car contracts. And because more rental cars are used in Central Florida than almost anywhere else in the world, it generates a lot of money for the state of Florida and some money locally. And then what becomes of that tax revenue? What what is it spent on? Well, it goes into the Department of Transportation primarily, and then it's used uh, in the local budgets to support transportation funding locally. So it doesn't go directly to the local governments, but 80% of it uh, is sort of earmarked for this area. So if it is generated in this area, it would be used primarily in this area to beef up our own infrastructure and transportation? Yes, it goes to the uh, Florida Department of Transportation that is for this area. The proposals to expand the rental charge to uh, loaner cars that would be the zip cars or shared cars that are being promoted as a connection to the SunRail system. I think really what we'll probably see, though, is an expansion of the jitneys and the taxi systems around those stations. Economic analyst Hank Fishkind talking with WMFE's Tom Parkinson. After a number of problems arose during last year's presidential election, the Florida legislature is working on a proposal to fix those glitches. Regan McCarthy reports a Senate committee outlined its plan for elections reform yesterday. The Florida Senate Ethics and Elections Committee is hammering out a plan to reform the state's elections law. The group is looking at extending the number of early voting days and shortening the length of the ballots in an attempt to shorten lines at the polls. One suggestion to do that includes letting supervisors of elections limit the number of local referendum items that would be allowed to appear on a ballot. Currently there's no prohibition or limitation on the number of local uh, elections or referendum elections that can be piggybacked on the primary or the general election ballot. Latvala says the move would help keep the length of the ballot shorter. 
But some, like Senator Terry Flores, a Republican from Miami, are raising concerns about how supervisors would pick which items to allow. So let's say we limit it to three three amendments or whatever it would be. Uh, how do we know that they're the three, like, quote-unquote, right ones or good ones? Flores says it's a move she thinks would need to be made carefully. Another suggested reform would block in-office absentee voting, except in special circumstances. A number of election supervisors allowed the practice during the presidential election. Officials say it helped with voters confused by redistricting changes. But Senator Andy Gardner, a Republican from Orlando, says he worries that could lead to overwhelmed supervisors on Election Day. If you don't think, if you don't think it was a problem this last time, wait until the next election when everybody realizes that it's an option all the consultants and others that will potentially take advantage of it. Meanwhile, Senator Eleanor Sobel, a Democrat from Hollywood, says she doesn't see a problem with letting voters cast their ballots at the supervisor's office. Our goal is to enable people to vote. Uh, This is a democracy, and we want to make it as easy as possible, and people trust the supervisor of elections office uh, more so than they do the people at their precincts. So I would not tamper with that uh, issue. Sobel says it seems to her the state's proposing provisions that punish all counties for issues that arose in just a handful of them. Finally, early voting received its share of debate during Monday's committee meeting. Lawmakers are proposing extending the number of early voting days and setting a minimum and maximum number of early voting days and hours. And they'd let supervisors decide whether to hold early voting the Sunday before the election. But Senator Oscar Brainin, a Democrat from Miami Gardens, says he's concerned about giving supervisors too much flexibility. He says at first he thought giving the supervisors discretion seemed like a good idea. Then we had the, the supervisors come and testify. And I could not for the life of me get out of one supervisor why he refused to do Sunday voting, even though he had a population that wanted Sunday voting. And it, everybody else that had that same population and, the pop, and similar numbers as far as uh, uh, the population, he, didn't want to do it. And it started to make me feel like maybe maybe discretion could be a problem. Latvala says he hopes the committee comes up with compromises that all sides can agree on. The group is expected to vote on an elections reform bill during the third week of the legislative session. Meanwhile, a measure tackling that issue in the House is gaining ground. For Florida Public Radio, I'm Regan McCarthy. People walking around downtown Gainesville may notice that trash bags have began to pile up near the Bow Diddley Plaza. In recent months, black trash bags and boxes full of donations have accumulated around the plaza in downtown Gainesville. The bags are being donated to the homeless people that gather around the plaza and are full of clothes, shoes and blankets that the homeless people might need. However, some local business owners aren't in favor of the appearance of these bags. Downtown Gainesville's Bellows Brick Street Grill General Manager Charles Hahn says the bags are adding up and looking like large piles of trash in the plaza. He adds the bags are a turnoff for customers because they are on one of the first things the visitors see when they go downtown. It's making it look trashy. Nobody wants to bring their family or their friends down here because the first thing that they see when they make a right turn on the first street is all these black trash bags full of whatever lined up behind benches, under benches, all along the sidewalk, and it just gives it a poor appearance. Han says not only is the appearance of disturbing to visitors downtown, but the bags are having negative effects on the businesses. He adds small business owners like himself are having to lay off employees because downtown is starting to look like a dump.
We're all trying to run businesses down here, and 90% of them are small business and single business owners like myself. So we're not a corporation, so that affects our business, and then we have to lay off employees because nobody wants to come visit downtown Gainesville because it looks like trash. Han goes on to say local businesses are suffering because of these donations since people don't want to visit downtown because there are so many homeless, especially at night. Well, it affects the business a lot. People honestly tell me that, that if it wasn't for having really good food, they would not come downtown, period, because it looks trashy. Sometimes they get scared in the evening time having to walk over people sleeping on a sidewalk. So if it's not during the daytime, nobody wants to come downtown. Han says many local business owners like himself are being affected by the bags that are adding up downtown, and they're looking to city officials for a solution. Han says he has already contacted the police and city commission about the issue. And high-tech companies trying to win businesses from public utility companies could have their information shielded from the public if a bill passes the Florida legislature. Jessica Palomobo reports the measure passed through a House subcommittee today. Major city utility companies like the ones in Jacksonville and Orlando want to keep the Palumbo? tech company's information okay. secret during the bidding process. Chip Miriam with the Orlando Utilities Commission says utilities need the most innovative ideas to help them comply with federal laws capping pollution. But fledgling companies might be scared of exposure to competitors. We have been approached by some that have looked at a way to reduce our carbon dioxide footprint by using an algae source. That algae source could turn into a biofuel. We've gone back and forth trying not to share any records to protect their development. Bill sponsor Travis Cummings, a Republican from Orange Park, says the exemption would only apply to scientific information, not financial records. But others say any exemption is a slippery slope toward obscuring government business from the public. For Florida Public Radio, I'm Jessica Palumbo in Tallahassee. More than 2,000 complaints were filed by consumers in Alachua County last year by people upset about the services they were being provided. That's according to the Florida Department of Agriculture and Consumer Services. Each year, the department tallies up the top complaints from Flor Floridian consumers make within the span of a year and reports what consumers are actually usually mostly upset about. It's all a part of the National Consumer Protection Week. A campaign department spokeswoman, Erin Giuseppe, says is a geared towards keeping consumers protected. National Consumer Protection Week is a week set aside nationally and, of course, recognized here in Florida to bring um, awareness to consumers about issues that impact them, uh, fraudulent activity, scams, and other things so that we can help prevent some um, consumers from having to go through those things. The number of consumer complaints have increased statewide with the top complaints being about the Do Not Call program, communications, and telemarketing. Giuseppe says a part of the reason for this increase is that consumers are looking out for each other. I think part of it is just awareness, trying to bring attention to what's going on. Um, also, you know, people just um, uh, have seen on TV the Do Not Call programs, and they know that um, if people are still calling them, then that's a problem. I think people are just more aware of scams and, um, and other issues like telemarketing scams now than they were before. And um, when they realize that they have been scammed, they want to report it. Um, not only in some cases to get their money back or to get resolution of the, of the issue, but also to prevent other people from being scammed. And these top complaints didn't come as a surprise, as Giuseppe says these issues are usually the ones consumers bring up the most. As for the Gainesville area, most complaints filed were in regards to motor vehicle repair, communications, and people having issues with their landlords or tenants.
Thanks for tuning in to the front page edition of All Things Considered. This has been a broadcast of Florida's 89.1 WUFTFM. I'm Christina Loeb. And I'm April Anuza. Stay tuned for a news update from NPR in Washington and Florida's 89.1 WUFTFM.